Hey everyone, it's David. Just letting you know today's episode of Positive Regression is brought to you by Sunday Scaries. Sunday Scaries is a leading manufacturer of vitamin-infused CBD products, including gummies, tincture oils, energy shots, and more. The gummy bears contain the recommended daily value of vitamins D and B12, the YOLO shots, which have become very popular in the Smith household, contain caffeine, just a little bit, just a good little kick to keep you focused when you are doing things like diligently watching video and logging restarts. Last year, Sunday Scaries won top accolades from Men's Health Allure Best Products and from my good friends at Forbes. You can give Sunday Scaries a try right now by going to sundayscaries.com and using the coupon code POSREGPOD, that is all one word, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D, for 25% off of your purchase of everything that is in stock on that website. They are also currently offering free shipping for orders of $69 or more. That is a nice deal, so take advantage. That is sundayscaries.com, promo code POSREGPOD for 25% off. Sound you hear? Yeah, those are the dominoes of silly season starting to fall. Maybe even faster than we can talk about them, but we'll try. Plus how Eric Jones and all his struggles fit into all of that silly season talk, the merits of a crew chief swap at this point in the season, and of course, our Michigan preview. But first, as always, this is episode 73 of Positive Regression. This is the Phil Barkdahl edition. David, an interesting choice for number 73, Phil Barkdahl is, only because we picked a driver who only made 23 total cup starts in his career, and when you look at the tracks he made those starts at, it's an even more curious tale to tell. Tell us about him, David. Well, he only ever made starts at Daytona and Talladega, and uh, he spent a significant amount of time in the air at those tracks. There were some <laughs> flips in the 87 qualifying race and some other uh, ugly-looking accidents, but he was he was never harmed that's about the size of it for his driving career, Alan. But I want to tell you why I picked him for this episode. Yeah, he drove the number 73 on the racetrack, but it was his off-the-track contribution to NASCAR history that I found very interesting. Phil Barkdahl's biggest impact on NASCAR came in 1990 when Leo Jackson tasked Andy Petrie to field a car in the Xfinity series, then the Bush Grand National series, for a young USAC driver named Jeff Gordon. Hmm. Petrie was Harry Gant's crew chief at the time. He was very busy. They were contending for a series championship. So he couldn't work on the car. The car did not come from Leo Jackson's shop. It came from Phil Barkdahl's shop. 
the number 67 Outback Steakhouse car, you've probably seen the diecast, was a Bark Doll production. The listed car owner of that number 67 car was Hugh Connerty. Well, Hugh Connerty did not have a shop. That is Leo Jackson's son-in-law, who also happened to be the vice president of Outback Steakhouse. Team ownership was in name only. There was no team, in essence. It was a Phil Barkdahl production. That team only qualified for one race out of an attempted three. Think about that, by the way. Jeff Gordon failed to make Xfinity Series races when he was an 18-year-old. But What a loser. The, what a loser. But the Barkdahls. <laughs> They didn't leave Jeff Gordon empty-handed. Uh, Phil Barkdahl, Steve Barkdahl, and Andy Petrie were responsible for introducing Jeff Gordon to Ray Evernham. Wow. They thought that Jeff needed some guidance, some better car knowledge in his corner. And all three of those guys had a good relationship with Evernham, who they knew through their IROC connections. So... Phil Barkdahl, sort of this forgotten piece of history, but not not a noteworthy driving career, we'll say, but certainly at least partially responsible as the matchmaker for one of NASCAR's greatest ever duos. That's really cool. David, I mean, I just want the listeners to know 90% of the time, I, I don't know where you're going with some of these picks. You know, I don't know. I didn't know much about Phil Barkdahl and I just learned a ton. And that is such a cool little piece of uh, NASCAR trivia you just weaved to connect those dots. So I just learned a lot there. So very cool. Yeah, 19 of his 23 starts, David, came in the number 73 car. You mentioned his son, Steve, longtime uh, garage member, uh, a spotter right now, still in the Cup Series. Uh, you know, I'm, it's a pleasure. I, I can say I know Steve Barkdahl. He was one of the people I interviewed when I did a story reminiscing about Dale Earnhardt's uh, victory drive when he won the 500. That scene of him driving down pit road and everyone giving him a high five. Uh, Steve Barkdahl was one of those guys and, you know, told me the story about that and, and just being there in that moment. And ever since then, we've had a, a good relationship. So I just learned a lot about his dad. So very cool. Uh, episode 73 of Positive Regression, the Phil Barkdahl edition. All right, let's get this started, David, because we have a lot to talk about. As I said before, the dominoes of Silly Season are finally starting to fall. We could start anywhere, but David, let's start with, I think, what was the biggest name in free agency, Brad Kislowski. He has officially signed an extension. The news came just one day after he won up in New Hampshire and had some interesting comments post-victory. Which you have to believe he already signed his deal with Penske. So that makes, I think, the, the comments kind of even more strange or, or enlightening, if you will. But we'll get to that. But, um, David, look, is it a surprise? I mean, this has taken a while. But Brad Kozlowski, for, let's say, his whole career, other than when he started with Hendrick. But the majority of what we know of his successful cup career has been with Penske. Is it a surprise that he re-signed with Team Penske? No. Uh, I made... A few public predictions on where he'd land before free agency really got going, uh, one of which was on this podcast earlier this year. And in all of them, I said that he would resign with Penske. And don't twist my words. I am not beating my chest because to me, this was very low hanging logic of the rides available. Truly available because Joe Gibbs Racing 
has a ride unaccounted for, but it's actually only available to one of two drivers. But of the rides truly available, the Penske number two was the only one that would pay something close to Keselowski's worth, which I have on the open market value tool on Motorsports Analytics as a little over $8 million. Now, I don't believe he was paid what he was worth. We are in the middle of a pandemic, after all, and there is a lot of uncertainty. But Penske was always the best bet to deliver the best salary. And the ride that most folks linked Keselowski with was Hendrick Motorsports. Probably truth to that. But I don't think it was ever realistic. If you consider Hendrick Motorsports has gone young, effectively buying low on their last three driver hires, I don't see them changing course all of a sudden. This seems to be the new direction for Hendrick Motorsports. I don't see them going beyond two million for a new driver and and maybe they break the uh, break the bank a little bit on Chase Elliott going forward, but to give a, a new driver like a Keselowski his worth, which again close to eight million dollars, and that's without a pandemic price cut factored, I don't see how that gap could have been bridged. And to me, Penske was the obvious choice here. So given whatever the pandemic threw into it. The, the biggest free agent, the most accomplished free agent still out there in Brad Keselowski, who is still about to enter his prime years, did he have options? Did he have anywhere else to go then if we don't think Hendrick would have considered him only because they, they've, whether it be money savings or, or skewing younger? Did, did Brad have any options here? I don't think so. Wow. Uh, and wow. I think that be, because it was a one-year deal, I'm I'm going to guess – that that was a decision coming from the driver. Because really, as long as Penske's realistic about the price, there's no way they lose by signing Brad Keselowski. Hell no. Um, I, Stuart Haas Racing, we think of them as this championship organization, which they are, but they have also been either notoriously frugal with their, uh, with their spending. They keep in mind, they, pushed Kurt Busch down a few salary brackets a couple of years ago. Eric Almarola came with a sponsorship. Even Danica Patrick years ago brought her own sponsorship. So there was uh, a tie to make sense of their driver salaries. That wasn't happening here. Brad was not coming with sponsorship. And I think he was... A man on an island. I think it was a situation where it was one organization and one driver. And sometimes that's just the simple thing that happens in sports and free agency is the team with the most money is probably just going to go get the driver wanting the most money or athlete wanting the most money. It's kind of easy to connect the dots that way. Like, again, I say that it's low hanging logic. Yeah, I think a driver as good as Brad Keselowski realistically only had one option, and that was to stay exactly where he's at. Interesting. Just to, just to think about all the, the options. If it was the world we live in now in terms of the, the business and the pandemic effect, if you want to say that, again, if other teams could have got Brad Kozlowski essentially at a discount, I mean, I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but if there could have been a discount price for a driver of Brad Kozlowski's caliber and teams still didn't bite at it, 
I don't know what that says about the current market. That that seems crazy to me. No, and I don't think he got the payday that he does deserve. Um, there there will be a series wide priority of weathering a pandemic. Uh, Dave Alpern, president of Joe Gibbs Racing, discussed this a little bit in a conference call last week. But it sounds as if teams are going to be conservative this offseason. It's a little bit disappointing if you are a fan or just a neutral observer that wants to see chaos. You enjoy the the rumors of drivers changing seats. That's why we read the internet. Yes, I, but I did. I wrote, wrote down in my notes. I wanted some drama here. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't I, get it. <laughs> I, I, I think we are heading into a very tame season of transactions. Uh, there, there will be a lot of one-year deals that is starting to feel as if it is going to be the norm. Um, there's going to be a lot of running it back. There will be a lot of excuses made for poor performance because we can kind of write off a year that doesn't include practice and qualifying. Uh, so yeah, I think we, we might be heading into something of a boring transaction season and that drivers may not trade places, but how the sport, the teams, the participants wrestle with a pandemic based price cut is pretty compelling. It's something that we're going to have to consider. And I think we're going to just hear a lot of different news, some of it depressing at times, but I, I think that's going to be the way of the world for at least the foreseeable future. As reported, a one-year deal for Brad Kislowski, which means he gets to uh, learn his value again and uh, next year and go through this and see what he can uh, what he can be paid and what, what he is worth on the open market. Uh, but so we know he will sign or have the option or, you know, be under a free agent again. We know that. Does he have another chance at a big money contract or, or do we have to redefine what big money contract is right now? Yes and yes. Those are two very good questions. Oh. Next year, he will be 37 years old. His very early projected production rating is good, similar to what he usually does. He just won his third race of the year. Ding, ding. He's old, reliable for a reason. And as he inches closer to his peak years of 39 and 40, uh, that's peak production years. That's also peak earning potential. I know he will take that seriously. Other teams will give consideration to this. They will value the ability. What might change will be the value dollar wise. And if he keeps doing things like what we saw in New Hampshire, and especially given the success Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin are currently having at their ages, whether he gets his worth Depends a lot on the economic environment around him. What will the sponsorship landscape look like at this time next year? That will play a factor, but certainly he can go forth and continue to create his own leverage and sort of like he does every weekend in racing. He, he might not have the vehicle to win, but he's very good at putting himself in the position to capitalize. And I think that should be his goal going into 2021 is to put him in a position to get a better deal, uh, hopefully a multi-year deal, taking him into his peak years 
Um, just, you know, you don't know what the environment's going to look like, but you just have to make the best of it. Interesting stuff. All right. Uh, so Brad was a uh, big news. The other big news we got early on Sunday morning that Bubba Wallace was being offered partial sponsorship from RPM. And this news came from a certain reporter for Forbes magazine. That reporter was David Smith. Congratulations to you, David. And I just want to tell a quick story. Uh, David, you had told me you were going to start writing for Forbes. You didn't, you didn't tell me what you, the article was going to be about. I didn't know what you were working on. You just said it was probably going to be out on Monday. So I wake up to a text early Sunday morning that says a grand entrance into Forbes, you might say from David. And I looked at it and I'm like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Go back to sleep. Later on in the day, I hear the Bubba news. And I guess I didn't auto automatically check to see where it came from. And I later find out, David, it was you. You broke this news, one of the bigger stories of the year that had everyone talking. So first of all, congratulations. And second of all, let's uh break this down. Where did this come from, this sort of offer from RPM to offer Bubba ownership in a team? It's It's kind of the same line of questioning, just trying to understand – how does a team owner come to grips with a driver who, at least from a production standpoint, has improved on the racetrack and his celebrity has increased over the course of the last few months? That kind of driver is going to command more money than he was previously earning because celebrity attracts sponsorships, um, performance, uh, tracks purse money. So he is deserving and he is a free agent. And I asked Andrew Merstein this very question. How, how do you quantify giving him a lot of money in the middle of a pandemic? What is the plan? And Andrew Merstein said that the plan was they have offered Bubba a contract extension that includes ownership stake in the team. So rare. Certainly, uh, not unprecedented. We can recall that Jeff Gordon received an ownership stake when he signed his lifetime agreement with Hendrick Motorsports prior to 2002, I want to say. And Tony Stewart became the 50% owner of what is now Stewart Haas Racing. So we've seen this. The difference is those guys were former champions. Bubba is this rising celebrity and broader popular culture. And as Andrew Merstein told me, Bubba right now, one of the most recognizable athletes, let alone NASCAR drivers on the planet. And he has been talking to potential sponsors. The number of meetings has gone from one to five per week. Hmm. So things are busy. It would make sense for them to keep him. But Let's exercise our brains here, uh -huh. Alan. It's it's helpful to remove the best thing about an organization and then evaluate what is left when that best thing is omitted. So let's have a think. What is Richard Petty Motorsports without Richard Petty? Uh, not as much. It is a, it is a race team that, um, I don't know what you want me to say here. It's just, it's not as high value of a race team. I can tell you that much. Richard Petty and that name, uh, sells a lot of things. Yeah. It is a very small team 
that is indistinguishable from other small teams. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Richard yeah. Petty. Yeah. I, you're right. It, it, the, the team loses appeal. Uh, the reason that there were small sponsors trickling in, uh, bigger sponsors too. When, when Smithfield Foods was at RPM, a big part of that deal included using the King's likeness for a snack mix that they were going to do. They do a little bit more than bacon, uh, despite the, the rumors, but I don't know that that ever went to the market. I believe they were going to turn Richard Petty into like a Paul Newman or Arnold Palmer type, but, but that is kind of the appeal that Richard Petty uh, draws Bubba Wallace, since he is now transcending NASCAR, just in terms of his popularity, he's arguably one of the more recognizable faces in NASCAR. Merstein said that he's got Richard Petty. He's got Bubba Wallace. Both of them are in the program. And, uh, no, he didn't include Dale Jr., but I bet if Dale Jr. walked through New York City, he would go largely unrecognized. So I kind of understand where Merstein is coming from on this. Bubba, is for RPM another outlet for long-term survival. Again, small team. They they kind of need to catch on to a rising star and see where they fly. And they currently recognize that. And that was what went into that offer. Uh, on Race Hub, they, they, they call it something of a Hail Mary, right? I mean, when you have to offer, when you know Bubba is being courted, when sponsorship wants him, and there are other open rides out there. I think offering ownership may be something of a Hail Mary, um, but <laughs> Hail Marys work sometimes, right? So you never know. Uh, and they win games. So who, who knows what, what could come of it? But the other question is, David, should Bubba accept the offer? It's not often you get offered ownership in anything, but NASCAR is not like other sports. If you were offered a piece of the Dallas Cowboys or any NFL team, I would say absolutely just because of the money and guaranteed revenue. But when you think NASCAR and some of the things we heard this week, especially with Levine Family Racing, uh, I don't know if if it's enough to that Bubba should accept it. And by that, I mean uh, he is the coveted one, right? He is the coveted for his skills and for what he can bring, maybe in terms of sponsorship. Uh, you've explained to me how some teams and some drivers can leverage their relationships with sponsors to uh, kind of flow through them in terms of bringing their sponsorship to a team and earning more salary and more potential money that way. I think Bubba could do that for a different team and not have to worry about the, the risks that come with ownership. That's just my layman's approach to it. So what, what do you say? Should Bubba accept this offer? It honestly depends on what he wants from his career. Security and equity in a team doesn't just get handed around and offered. But unless massive changes are made, performance will not improve. Okay, Bubba's averaging a 19th place finish with a 25th fastest car. That is certainly harder than it looks. But is that something that he wants to continue trying to do year in? in year out, assuming that everything stays the same. If he believes in his abilities, then he should certainly look elsewhere. But I don't know how real other offers are. Mm. Hendrick Motorsports sounds like a fantasy. Uh, Chip Ganassi Racing makes sense, especially when you connect dots to some of their sponsor partners. But Ganassi would also need him to come in and raise the tide 
on a team that should compete for a playoff spot and and just fired a crew chief. So it's not it's not totally a great situation over there either. That's asking a lot and it's a scenario that could ultimately reveal the deficiencies in Bubba's driving repertoire. If if we're not going to sugarcoat it, this is his first season of ample production. He's had a few spells with really good restarting numbers, but not enough of them. And he is something of a liability on long runs per his passing numbers. This doesn't mean he's going to be this guy for the remainder of his career, but I do think the bet on himself, if he was going to make one, would involve moving to a higher caliber of equipment and having more resources at his disposal if an offer is indeed there, then yeah, he should consider that. I like the way you put that because you betting on yourself means I, I think means you can bet on your skills and yourself improving uh kind of despite the equipment around you. But if you stay at something like RPM and some things don't come to fruition, uh you're still finishing nineteenth in a twenty fifth place car. That's only cool for so long, right? I, I think there is some sort of mindset and potential is sexy, right? What he's doing now, doing better than his equipment, that's good. I think sponsors are really excited to see what he could do next. Or, or the, if I was a sponsor, that would that, that would turn me on, if you will. I'd be like, all right, what can he do if they take some of my money and bring it to a better team or he's in better equipment? What could he do with it? How could a, my sponsorship shine and he be the spokesman for it because he's doing so well? But if it's a year after year of performing 19th in the 25th fastest car, that, that shine's going to fall off a little bit eventually or, or, or just drop off the cliff because that that the potential is no longer sexy. you got to have some results. So I like when you say bet on yourself because the finishes have to be there. Eventually, I, I'll never forget, you know, one time you said finish, for Ryan Priest, finishing 14th in, uh, in one of those back marker Xfinity cars just isn't sexy for sponsors. Winning in a Joe Gibbs car is. Eventually, Bubba has to put up the the results to to maintain that that potential and that attractiveness to sponsors i feel and, and that would mean to me anyway going away from the rpm deal yeah and you know to the the same effect uh the the very original podcast that i did the old david smith podcast when i had jason bowles on as a guest he had had a few really good finishes driving uh an xfinity car for randy mcdonald but we talked about how trying to sell a potential sponsor on, yeah, look, we finished 17th, but we had the 30th fastest car. That was actually a remarkable accomplishment. <laughs> Those potential sponsors don't understand that. They they look at you and like, well, no, you're not a winner. That doesn't make sense. NASCAR doesn't translate everywhere. And when when you are making a bet on yourself that is that is kind of the reward is that you now have better results that can lift yourself up lift your team up and make you maybe more appealing than you are but that's also unfortunately kind of the way the game has to be played because if as long as this is a sponsor driven sport not necessarily a results driven sport then you can't leave that that nuance in understanding 
what a result actually means, you can't leave that to chance. You kind of have to just take take it by the scruff of the neck and make it as obvious as possible. And if this is Bubba's opportunity to make things more obvious for himself, then he should take that. Um, of course, this also isn't a totally terrible offer. He he does have an offer to stay in the Cup Series. That's not bad. That might be more than what some uh, other Cup drivers get this year. But he has at least found himself in a situation where there's one option we know of. There might be more. There's a funny Chris Rock bit about own about being uh, rich and wealthy, right? I think he's, it's an old bit, but he goes, you know, Shaquille O'Neal is rich. The guy signing his check is wealthy. So there is some appeal to being the owner or an owner, right? Or having stake in the ownership. I just don't know if it works the same in NASCAR, David. I, I would feel like that's the risk for taking a deal like this. So we covered Brad. We covered Bubba. Uh, another domino to fall this week. I mean, Levine Family Racing has sold its charter. Uh, so it is getting out and presumably, you know, ending its Toyota affiliation or that, that Gibbs affiliation is least up in the air, which to me puts obviously Christopher Bell up in the air, which leads to questions about Eric Jones. Uh, we'll break down Eric Jones in a second, but in terms of the next dominoes to fall, David, I mean, yeah, because of the Levine news, we got to thank Christopher Bell. Uh, we still don't know what's going on with Ganassi, the 48 car. Do we really know what Clint Boyer's up to? Do we really know if, if Tyler Reddick is, you know, uh, uh, cemented into that eight car? Uh, what about Chase Briscoe? Ford officials talked to, about him this week. You know, he is under contract with Ford, but not necessarily a team yet. Uh, Chastain, didn't he have the pipeline to the 42? Is that still cemented? I don't know. I, what, what questions do you have, David? I, I think it is trying to identify the next domino to fall. And I, that I believe has been made clear with LFR's decision to sell. Christopher Bell is now out in the ether. Uh, t- Toyota is out as an organization here, but there there is a possibility of the manufacturer aligning elsewhere. And that's where it could place Chris Bell. That makes sense. But the easy choice is to put Bell in the number 20 car and send Eric Jones on his way. And why is that easy? In the con- and well, oh, okay. So in the conference call that I mentioned earlier, Dave Alpern said he loves Eric Jones and they would like to keep him. And by all accounts, Toyota believes that Jones is an important part of the future of the manufacturer in NASCAR. So the pieces falling into place would give us a clear indication on Eric Jones, who is now the most valuable free agent on the board if we're not taking Kyle Larson into consideration. But... That also means that Eric Jones has some landing spots. He he has options. Bell is contracted with Toyota through 2021. Mm, okay. Jones can get out right now. That, okay, that from from that perspective, I can see why you said it makes okay. It easy. So but picking picking Bell over Jones that to me is not an easy decision. But when okay, one's contracted yeah. and one isn't, I get it. Yeah, but but I think right now, if Eric Jones can somehow look, the Wood Brothers ride is currently unaccounted yeah, for. Another one. Stuart Haas yeah. Racing has two rides unaccounted for. I think Eric Almarola is safe. Clint Boyer is the driver in question. I could see either of those being landing spots. 
for Jones if he is cut loose by Joe Gibbs Racing to make way for Christopher Bell. What we don't know is who is valued more by JGR and Toyota, Chris Bell or Eric Jones. I, I think we can assume they'd like to keep both, but that might not be the way the world works. Um, but the good news for Jones, again, he's he's going to be a driver that will have options. There are or other organizations keeping track of what happens. I don't know. He might not be in that 20 car next year. Interesting. All right, let's talk Eric Jones. Eric Jones has uh, a proven record. He has a bright future. The present, not the greatest at the moment. And that led to a question on Twitter from one of our listeners. Thank you for listening. Matthew N underscore 20 on Twitter. He wrote, I'm an Eric Jones fan and I listen to their in-car radio every week. Are you surprised they haven't made a crew chief change? Does Eric need a change of scenery? I don't wish for anyone to lose their job, but I feel like something isn't right. David, the results show that. His current place in the standings show that, where he is uh, competing and drifting away from the playoff bubble line at the moment, especially without a win. Uh, so let, let's break down Eric Jones a little more. And again, thank you for the question, but it fits into our whole conversation with free agency and what's going on right now. Uh What's going right and what's going wrong for Eric Jones? Uh, to answer that, David, I, I took a brief look at just the data on motorsports analytics. Good news and bad news there. In terms of positions lost, he's the worst restarter in the series right now. That's the bad news. The good news is he can pass all those cars that he's losing positions to because he's also one of the best passers at the moment. So I don't know if you take that, you know, which one weighs more positive or negative, but, uh, that's what I immediately saw, David. How do you look at it? No, that's the gist of it. That, that's <laughs> That's been his season in a nutshell, is he's passing the spots that he's lost. But also, uh, lately, I mean, it's he's been having to rally. Uh, I, I thought these last few weeks, he, he it, they weren't good. No. But he put and up really good he, – he put up good numbers, 37 positions more than the expectation of his car in the last two races – alone wow. and that's that's more than than anybody in the series that surprises the me one only because he passer. didn't really rally in new hampshire that's what i was waiting for like he had an early pit penalty yeah and i just kept expecting i mean he was in my fantasy lineup i i, I kept expecting him to climb the charts a little bit and he never did i don't know if it was getting caught a lap down and just couldn't get the timing right to get it back i don't exactly know what kept him down so far but he never had that rally that, that got him back you know top 15 or even close to the top 10 it never happened yeah so as you mentioned, the restarting numbers are down. He, in theory, should be better in races with a small concentration of restarts, just races with lots of green flag runs. But that is not actually the case. Uh, if we look back a few races with less than 2.25 restarts per 100 miles, I landed on 2.25 because that is the bang average right now for the Cup Series. I swear I didn't just pull that out of my uh, nether regions. <laughs> he finished 28th in Atlanta, 21st at Homestead, 38th at Pocono, 33rd at Indianapolis, and 22nd at Kentucky. Matthew was correct. Something is not right. If this were a case where Jones is simply not a good driver – then they'd just be mediocre finishes, but probably better than what I just listed. But when a Joe Gibbs car is finishing 28th, 33rd, and 38th, 
then there's more than driver going on. There is poor attention to detail. There's a lack of awareness. It's something. This isn't the result sheet of a team that can win races right now. Perhaps a change is necessary, a crew chief change. Um, but given how crew chiefs are limited in their interactions with drivers and teams due to the pandemic protocol, it'd be difficult for a completely new hire to fully immerse. It'd have to be a promotion from within, like we saw with Chip Ganassi Racing, or an exchange of personnel between Joe Gibbs Racing teams, which I guess is entirely plausible, but I don't know that I see it happening. Yeah, you, you floated this idea. You know, we we're making our notes and everything. A Chris Gale, Adam Stevens swap. Would that do anything for for either team? And, and I'm just interested in your approach. Like, are you saying if they suddenly swapped Adam Stevens over to the 20, it would change everything, help him get a win, and, and and Chris Gale is kind of at fault here or just not performing like he should at the moment, or is or are we just looking for a change of scenery? What do you think would come of a, of a swap if they were to do such a, an odd thing at this time? Yeah, maybe, maybe a kick in the pants to boost performance in the short term, but I'm not a fan of these kind of intra-organization swap deals because to me it seems like a desperate thing to do. They don't always address whether a driver crew chief combination is actually a good idea. Often they're one-sided. But I do wonder if if it was Kyle Bush on the outside of the playoff cutoff and not Jones, would a swap happen? I think it might. And I I don't I don't think Jones has the sway. He certainly does not have the star profile to make a scapegoat out of Chris Gale. But I bet Kyle Bush could snap his fingers and have a, a new crew chief if he wanted one. That Adam Stevens is still on the 18's pit box means that Kyle Bush has not been uh boisterous in this regard just yet. But for Jones, a crew chief change in the middle of the season would undoubtedly be a desperate move to get a driver they feel should be in the playoffs into the playoffs. And I'm sure JGR isn't happy with performance, but the concern would have to be over the top for something to happen. Perhaps a few more bad finishes pushes things in that direction, but I don't sense that it's there yet because Again, he is within sniffing distance. This is a Joe Gibbs racing car, and there are still six races left in which they can at least win a race or have a, a really heady charge back in based on points. Well, what do you think the problem is? I mean, I don't want to point it all at Chris Gale, or I just don't know where, where do we – I mean, obviously the standings and finishes – tell us something, right? I mean, they, they tell the reality of where the team is now. But, you know, I look at green flag pit cycles and his pit decisions. Chris Gale's the top 10, you know, decider, if you will. You know, he's he's got very good numbers when it comes to when to pit and and producing speed uh, or producing track position that way. Uh, I can look at central speed and see where the 11 or see where the 20 car is. Uh, you know, it's, it's down there. I guess they could be making more speed. I, I guess what I'm trying to find is, you know, where do we point fingers or what should we look at in terms of what's the weakness here right now? 
Yeah, it's sort of similar to the 18 team, right? It's just the speed really isn't there based on what we previously knew about them. The 20 car was faster last year. It was the slowest of the four Gibbs cars towards the end of the season that improved. But you think about how this team was bounced out of the playoffs last year, four points from three races in the first round. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like they've ever fully recovered from that, but that might just be my perception. And I might be fueling a narrative that doesn't need to be there. The disconnect is obvious, but to me, maybe this is something that can be swept under the COVID-19 rug, but it's going to have to be inside the team. There's something, there's something is amiss because if you have the quantifiable strengths that he has, but you're not capitalizing on the races in which you can take advantage of those strengths, then something's amiss. It's not all driver. It's probably not all crew chief. It's just not there. Uh, and that's something that they're going to have to address. And that's how I wanted to kind of twist the question, if you will, because the, the, the listener who put this in, Matthew, obviously an Eric Jones fan. So from a Jones fan perspective, if Eric isn't getting what he needs and not living up to his potential because of it, should Eric Jones leave Joe Gibbs Racing? Uh, we kind of touched on it, but to put it that bluntly, should he be looking elsewhere? We know what the potential and the performance that Joe Gibbs Racing has, but it's been a few years. You know, these one-year contracts every year, he's kind of looking elsewhere. He doesn't have the security. Should he look for... Better pastures, if you will, not necessarily greener, but but different pastures. Ooh, no, not well, not not of his own volition, because this is the richest team in NASCAR, supported by the manufacturer spending the most money, and that is not something you willingly leave unless. You just feel that you have been blackballed. He is in the very situation that is coveted by most young race car drivers everywhere, not just in NASCAR, in the grassroots division. They want to be with the top team with a lot of money and have the ability to compete for wins. And he has that. The only way I see him changing rides is that if the Chris Bell issue is forced, probably unnecessarily, and he's the odd man out, then he's going to have some spots to pick. Uh, he'll, he'll be fine. But this clearly is the best situation for him on paper. Um, internally, that's entirely up to him. If he doesn't, if he doesn't feel wanted, um, if he doesn't feel that he can be successful there, then that changes the lot. But on paper, uh, no, he should stick right where he's at. I feel, and he certainly owes it to himself, and I'm sure he's got agents and lawyers for this, to to certainly ask the question and drive a potential offer up, only because, again, he's proven. He's a race winner. He has playoff experience. He has a ton of talent, and he's young, younger than Christopher Bell. It just This screams to me, David. Chip Cadassi Racing would hugely benefit from a driver like Eric Jones. 
why wouldn't they just throw the money at him? Or, or Hendrick Motorsports, they would hugely benefit from a driver of Eric Jones's talent. It, it just blows my mind the, the the state we're in right now in terms of oh, why aren't these people calling? Maybe they are. I don't know the the backstory, but I just can't imagine what your team would improve with a driver like Eric Jones on it. He should be coveted. Yeah, and we don't know that he's valued to that point. Uh, I, I mean. From where I sit, Hendrick Motorsports, based on what they've accomplished this year, is a step down from Joe Gibbs Racing. So certainly is Chip Ganassi Racing, and we addressed this with our with our Bubba talk. Uh, the 42 team has got some problems this year that they're going to have to rectify. So that's a good safety net if the offer is there. But man, to to leave JGR willingly, that is that'd be a difficult call. Interesting stuff. Good conversation we just had. So this has been a fun episode so far, and we still have our Michigan preview to go. So let's transition. Eric Jones, Michigan driver. Maybe you can get that win, change everything. When he goes to Michigan, they're going Cup Series, going for a double header this weekend up in Michigan. David, something we always do is kind of look back and try to dissect what uh what matters at a certain track and how a race can be won. I like to go back and look at the previous year at a certain track, its races, and see how it was won. David, Michigan was odd last year only because, let me get this stat, this was the the second race, the, the August race last year in Michigan. First stage, caution-free. Second stage starts off with another 50-lap run. So we had a, lap, a 61-lap run, a 50-lap run, and then we had green flag lap of we had green flag runs of two laps, six laps, one lap, eight laps, and then ended the race on a forty-eight lap run. So what I'm saying is, uh, the the first race was also was just as odd with with a weird mix of really short runs or long runs. David, I don't know what that means, but it just means it was very odd to me to see all that and, and tell me, you know take advantage of these restarts they should have last year, but then also have the long run speed to drive away at the end. I don't know where I'm going with this, but it just struck me as odd at a place like Michigan to have such short runs. And I don't know if that'll be duplicated this year. So do you want it to get a little bit weirder? Oh yeah. Uh, so here, here, here are the, the restart disparities between the two races last year and that first one, which I actually rewatched this morning, just to kind of get a feel for it. 83% to 16%. It favored the outside. They went back there. Totally different dynamic. 68% to 45% outside with some spots becoming extra feisty. So I don't know what to tell you to expect going into this weekend in terms of restarts other than to expect this to be odd. Expect this to be a race totally based on track position. And I think that's kind of it. This is a total track position race where tire wear is minimal. Uh, be on the lookout for the Rodney Childers signature pit stop in advance of the competition caution or in advance of the first stage ending, especially if there's another caution in that stage. Be on the lookout for the RCR teams working the long pit and not giving much importance to tires. I think this could become compelling deeper in the field, too. Uh, this would be a good race to have Randy Cox as a crew chief, but that's not going to happen. But because of the nature of the track and this rules package, there 
should be multiple grooves to play around with when passing. And that really worked. Uh, again, rewatched the race this morning. Cars could kind of put themselves anywhere and make things happen. Save for the lead. It was very tough to pass when in clean air and grab that lead in last year's race. But from second on back, things could get very interesting. Now, sometimes people don't like strategy races or a good pit call. You'll see out of Rodney Childers. So it depends on what your form of entertainment is or what your definition of it is. But where does the entertainment come from this race, David? If tires don't matter, uh, you know, we saw an entertaining race for much of it up in Loudoun last week. And where does the entertainment come from in Michigan, especially with two races? Yeah, I think one of the traps that we all sort of fall into is watching the leader and not the race. And this is the same trap if you're watching football or basketball. When our eyes are drawn to the movement of the ball and not on the other actions going on around it. It's the same thing here uh, in Michigan. I think the work being done outside of the lead, whether it's traditional passing, the restarts, pit cycles... That'll all be fascinating and unique for every driver and team. There is good stuff in these races at Michigan, but if you are caught watching the leader and begging for lead changes based on the package, based on the fact that this is just a two-mile track and the leader is going to be able to dictate that clean air very well, yeah, you're you're, you're probably not going to see much there, but you're you're also going to miss out on the entertainment that's happening behind it. So try to try to focus your attention on that, not so much on the lead, because yeah, you might be disappointed in that. It, it's going to be tough to pass to the lead. All right, um, these type of tracks, the, the the way just we that we've described them this year, you have to think Harvick and Hamlin are the two cars to beat. So can is anyone good enough to beat them, David, uh, the two outstanding favorites, especially at a long track like Michigan? Uh, your speed charts on Motorsports Analytics say uh, yes. I mean, Ryan Blaney, Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski all actually have faster central speed at the two-mile tracks, faster than Harvick, uh, most, some of them faster than Hamlin. But you mentioned Rodney Childers and the strategy calls and all that. I think when you throw that in, it's hard to say that anyone can beat. Chris Gabehart and Rodney Childers this weekend at a track like Michigan. Uh, what do you say? Yeah, you can hold Jeremy Bullen's beer, buddy, because that's <laughs> that might be happening. There, there are a number of better two mile passers in the field, also, but that that might not matter um, in a in a track position race such as this, especially if those two guys, Harvick and Hamlin, are near the front. They are the favorites. Uh, they are not turning too many wrong wheels. If they aren't winning, they are stringing together good outings. But the cars of Penske and the cars of Stuart Haas have good speed on the two-mile tracks and have at times the strategy to go with it. And I might be giving a hint as to one of my contrarian picks. But that's going to be what is required. It it is going to come down to ultimately speed. You can't you can't fake that, but there's going to have to be a strategy that goes with it. If you're going to run a race filled with conservative stops, I'm not sure that's going to hack it compared to what Harvick and Hamlin are doing right now. So crew chiefs are going to have to up their game. The creativity 
could ultimately end up winning this race. All right. Creativity. So that allows uh, maybe some fun picks for our weekly contrarian contender. David, I'll let you go first. Who's your contrarian contender for, again, two races at Michigan, both 400 miles? I wrote down Eric Almarola, but it's, that's such a cheat. Uh, he's he's going to start up close. He's going to have clean air. And uh, Stuart Haas cars are historically fast, even though Almarola's record at Michigan isn't particularly great. But I'm going to go the different Stuart Haas driver. I'm going to pick Cole Custer. Hmm. Uh, I have liked his speed in recent races. His restart numbers, Kentucky was not just a one-hit wonder. They have picked up. And on top of that, we have praised Mike Shiplett. And it's going to be that line of thinking. This might not be a pick for the win. But in terms of just how to piece together this kind of a race on a two-mile track, the things that they seem to be doing well and have as strengths are things that should come to the surface this weekend at Michigan. All right. I'm going to let it ride with my pick, Matty D. Uh, Matty D did it me good last week uh, with my pick up in New Hampshire. I think came back sixth, which I think is good for a contrarian contender. Uh, I just like his speed. He had a good showing at Pocono and Indy. You know, hopefully if that matter, if that factors in his speed at the, the two mile track. So if I'm going with a contrarian contender, someone not so obvious, I'm going to stick and roll the dice and keep going with uh, Matt DiBenedetto in that 21 car. David, I thought about HMS, uh, but they they, they got to show me something before I start picking them again. So I, I'm sticking with Matt DiBenedetto. All's fair. I think DiBenedetto will be a, a good shout. Um, he has sort of longed for the days when he had a good two-mile car. Well, he's going to have one this weekend, so uh should be fun to watch. All right. Great episode today. Uh, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and Luminary. We're available no matter your device. This entire catalog of episodes, it's available for free at posregpod.com. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or a review. This does help in spreading the word. We, of course, notice, as you heard just in this episode, it's so appreciated. If you have any questions, send them to us. We'll love to answer them at posregpod, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. David, what kind of news are you going to break this weekend? Light the world on fire. <laughs> I don't know if there's going to be any news, but on motorsportsanalytics.com, I have a look at regression candidates for the second half of the 2020 season. Those include Eric Jones, Alex Bowman, Bubba Wallace, and Michael McDowell. Also, some updates to the free agent tracker on the open market value page. More values and more details you don't have to Google who the free agents are in NASCAR anymore. All you have to do is bookmark the open market value page on motorsportsanalytics.com. I will keep it up to date throughout the remainder of 2020. So go do that. Check that out. Uh, you want to get real nerdy. That is good stuff, and it's getting great reviews from the industry. So uh, make sure you check that out on David's site, motorsportsanalytics.com. David, I'm heading back to the track, going to Michigan because there is a truck race, and uh, it's been fun lately. It's been fun to see Matt Crafton kind of uh, emerge as a, a title contender and race winner and kind of put his throw his name in uh, the ring for uh, another championship, and uh, it should be a good battle with just a few more races till we get to the playoffs. So the trucks at Michigan are always fun. Expect some drafting. We've seen some last lap passes. So it'll be fun to be uh, down on pit road in Michigan and just uh, make sure you keep watching race hub. We are around Monday through Thursday, every day at 6 PM on FS one and uh, watch as much racing as you can. 
And uh, thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. It's been a great episode. For David Smith, I'm Alan Kavana. This is Positive Regression, a motorsports analytics podcast. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a lounge singer to be their office receptionist. Hello, this is Mickey Marquis, and you've reached the office of Doug and Associates. <laughs> Thank you very much. Catch me Tuesday nights at the Hotel Johnson. Hello? But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Doug and Associates, this is Mickey Marquis. Hello? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today.